This is an ABC podcast. Boundless Possible is an ad campaign run by the Northern Territory government designed to encourage Australians to move to the top end of the country. The government's pitch, opportunities are boundless in the territory. The website reads, this is a place where you hear... Give it a go. A lot more than you hear the word... No. But despite huge money on offer, health workers are saying no to working in the Territory. And we're talking eye-watering money here, as much as half a million for a locum nurse working remote. So what's stopping people from giving it a go? I'm Sinead Mangan and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wadja Country, Perth. In 2005, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Commissioner Professor Tom Kama wrote a report urging Australian governments to achieve equality for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in health and life expectancy. His goal? That parity was achieved in 25 years. Four years later, the Closing the Gap report was tabled in Parliament. Mr Speaker, we stand at an extraordinary moment in the history of Indigenous affairs. A time of despair, but also a time of hope. A time of great challenge and equally a time of great opportunity. The absence of law enforcement, of housing that is fit to live in, of basic services uh, that the rest of the nation takes for granted are classical areas of challenge. Change is coming to Indigenous Australia and change is coming from Indigenous Australia. Let us, as a parliament, as a nation, seize the moment. Mr Speaker, let us now begin. That was February 2009. The first Closing the Gap report had six targets that touched on life expectancy of Indigenous adults and children, education and employment. And there have been a few iterations since. Now, in 2023, seven years off that original target, on all measures, the gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians is not closing quick enough. And in Central Australia, where just shy of a third of the population is Indigenous, a worker shortage is threatening to send some of the wind and Indigenous health backwards. To address this, nurses, doctors and allied health staff are being offered megabucks to head to Central Australia. The ABC has heard claims that locum nurses are being offered as much as half a million dollars to work in remote clinics. Even so, the NT is struggling to fill 140 full-time nursing positions. Some say people are reluctant to relocate because of the ongoing issue with crime in the state. The streets of Mbantua, Alice Springs, transform after dark. And among the nightly chaos are kids. Where's your father? Where's Andrew? Our patrol service is to take people away from the CBD, to help people get home to a safe space. The town kids are being picked up between the hours of 10.30 and um, 2 to 2.45 a.m., Our reporter, Charmaine Allison, is in Alice Springs and she's been looking at what's going on in Central Australia's health system and why, despite offering huge money, it cannot get enough staff. Charmaine, thanks for chatting to Australia Wide. Thank you. Now, can you step it out for us? We know Central Australia is short of workers, but how many staff are we actually talking about? 
Yeah, so Northern Territory Chief Minister Natasha Files uh, has this week confirmed uh, that there was a shortfall of more than 140 full-time equivalent nurses and midwives across Central Australia uh, at the moment. And just weeks ago, we heard from Peak Bodies uh, that Alice Springs is down to a third of GP numbers required uh, to service the local community. And there's also stark shortages among allied health staff. Now, this is in general practices, but it also stretches into the local hospital uh, with the nurses union claiming uh, that Alice Springs Hospital is down to just 50% of the nursing and midwifery staff needed. I know there's been some serious money being put on the table to try and encourage nurses and GPs to move to Central Australia. What sort of stories have you heard on that front, Charmaine? Yeah, so I chatted to uh, Dr. John Boffa from the Central Australian Aboriginal Congress. He's the chief medical officer there. And he said that the NT public health system is so desperate to fill gaps at the moment that they're offering wages uh, that he says are unsustainable for the sector and could eventually cause serious damage. Uh, Here's what he had to say. Recently, we saw Logan's nurses in a remote community in Central Australia being paid $1,500 a day. That's about $500,000 a year for a, a single remote area nurse in a remote community. And these are not even highly skilled remote area nurses that are being employed. So the system's almost pricing itself out of the market. The health services are not funded to levels where they can offer these sorts of wages and salaries to attract people. That's Chief Chief Medical Officer at Central Australian Aboriginal Congress, Dr. John Boffa. Now, that's that's just crazy money, Charmaine. Mm. How can the system manage that? And and is this a case of staff being poached from one area of the health system to another? Yeah, so frontline workers that I've chatted to say that because of these you know, hugely competitive salaries being offered by the government health sector, uh, that nurses and doctors are fleeing private general practices and Aboriginal controlled health clinics in droves, you know, seeking these much higher wages. Uh, in fact, there's growing claims the government yeah, is essentially poaching healthcare staff from the primary healthcare sector. Now, Chief Minister Natasha Files has this week refuted this. Uh, she says the government sees these services as partners and you know not as competition but for those in the primary health care sector it's deeply concerning. So how does someone like Dr Baffa see this work shortage affecting gains that have been made over those years on the closing the gap? Yeah, there's real concerns that this healthcare staffing crisis, you know, could have serious ramifications if it's not swiftly addressed. Now, in recent decades, we've seen significant advances in improving life expectancy rates uh, among Aboriginal communities. Uh, but Dr. Boffa says that all this, you know, progress we've seen could unravel uh, if this workforce shortage isn't turned around. Uh, here's what he had to say. It's an unacceptable situation, particularly when we've seen such very large health improvements in Central Australia since 1998 for Aboriginal people. So the life expectancy for Aboriginal men has increased more than 10 years and for Aboriginal women it's increased more than five years. But most importantly, premature death before age 75, the gap's closing even faster on that data for Aboriginal men and women, which means there's better news to come. But much of this improvement has been because of the improvements that have occurred in the health system, especially the primary healthcare system. And if we can't get a workforce into that primary healthcare system, then these improvements will be going backwards That's Dr. John Buffet again. Charmaine, are his concerns in terms of going backwards, are they shared by other clinicians? 
Yeah, definitely. Others are very concerned that, you know, we could see this effect. I mean, it's been such a huge aspect that we have this care for, you know, chronic health issues in the community. Uh, But clinics are saying they just have to focus on urgent care at the moment because that's all they're staffed for. Uh, Now, chronic health care is, you know, one of the huge issues behind uh, these really concerning uh, figures we're seeing when it comes to life expectancy in Aboriginal communities. So without care in that space, there's a concern across the board that we could see uh, a reversal in the progress made. One of the things that Dr. Boffa spoke about there was that the health system was pricing itself out of the market and I mean no wonder if there's that kind of money on the table. What effect does that then have like a knock-on effect in terms of the viability of clinics remaining open? Yeah, this is a real concern for local clinics. And, you know, as uh, Congress is just one that's struggling at the moment and starting to see the effects of that. Um, they're currently down to a third of their GP and nursing workforce. Uh, and they're seeing a vacancy rate of 50% among Aboriginal health practitioners um, and allied health staff. Uh, in fact, they were recently forced to close one of their clinics in Alice Springs uh, because of a shortage of workers. And they're concerned this is just the first of many. So why, despite all this money floating around the system, are people not moving to the territory and taking up these jobs? Have you had heard any theories about that? Yeah, there's been multiple reasons given, I guess, for this shortage continuing. Uh, you know, part of it is recent crime coverage in the re- region of Alice Springs. You know, it's concerns that this has discouraged a fresh workforce from moving to Central Australia. Um, also COVID, you know, there's flow on effects from that of, you know, huge burnout in the workforce that we're starting to see really play out of people, you know, leaving the uh, sector, you know, as well to go into other, um, you know, I guess, work besides that because they're just so burnt out and exhausted. Um, But also there are issues with policy that people have discussed as well. Uh, You know, in in the past, overseas doctors had to work in areas of need in rural and remote regions when they came to Australia. Uh, But we've seen a policy change that means they can now work in the outer suburbs of capital cities as well as larger regional cities. Uh, And that actually has had a huge impact in seeing doctors like flee the region, but also not choose to come here uh, because they can work closer to cities. Charmaine Allison, thanks for bringing this story to Australia Wide. Thank you. You're listening to Australia Wide. On ABC Radio. And you're with me, Sinead Mangan. A community group in Bundaberg in Queensland says families and pensioners are sleeping under bridges on riverbanks and in cars and parks as the regional housing crisis continues. Angels Community Group says there's been a significant increase in the number of people seeking help. Chief Executive Sue Tasker says the increased cost of living, low housing stock and rising interest rates means people are struggling now more than ever before. We are still getting so many people coming in that are homeless, that are struggling. It's certainly got no better over the last you know, year or whatever it's been going on for. Um, and there doesn't seem to be any hope that it's going to change in the near future. I know that the demand in our centre has increased um, and of those many are homeless. Um, we are talking families. We're talking single people and sadly we're talking pensioners. You know, I've seen a couple of elderly ladies that are living on the street by themselves. That is just not right. I mean, they aren't safe. It's not safe to live out there. 
Where are many people living? Is it in their cars? Is it couch surfing? What's that situation like? Couch surfing's huge, and when you're talking a family, for a family to be moving in with another family, the sustainability of that's limited. Um, you're talking overcrowded houses. It's not a long-term solution. So we see them living in their cars. The couple of women that I talked about were literally just sleeping on the riverbank. It ranges. You know, you've got people living in sheds on properties and then just living down by the riverbank or in the park or in a tent if they're lucky. If they're not, they're just sleeping on the ground. Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk has announced 4,000 social and affordable homes have been built and 5,000 are under construction. The state government is aiming to deliver 13,000 social and affordable homes by 2027. Ms Tasker says it's a good start. Anything's great, isn't it? But if you go 4,000 homes over the entire Queensland, how much does that actually mean for our area? And I know we have concern across Queensland, but if we're talking our region, you just wonder how many houses that actually means for our region. And while those figures are great and, like, anything's better than nothing, it's definitely just a drop in the ocean for what the need is there at the moment. 2027 is a long time away and I know things can't be done overnight but I do think they need to look at other other things as well because people are homeless now and there's no way a 60 odd, a 70 year old should be homeless on our streets in Australia. That is just a ridiculous and crazy situation. How does it feel for you Sue seeing these people every day and, and hearing their stories how does it feel? So yeah, we feel pretty lousy some nights driving out of here. You really do. Um, when you've got someone presenting to you that just goes, I just need somewhere, and you've got no options to give them. You can give them a feed. You can give them a cup of coffee. At the end of the day, they need a roof over the head. It's demoralising for us, so I can't even imagine what it feels like for them. And they're people that in previous years would never have thought they were going to be homeless. They just aren't normally in that situation. And I can't imagine how they feel, especially if they've got children living in their car, of the hopelessness that they feel, because I know how we feel, not having anywhere to send them. But Angel's Community Centre has been a lifeline for some, such as Aseki Takana, who moved to Bundaberg 15 years ago. Yeah, I was living under the bridge for three years and they give me the house in Goodwin and live there for five years now. They do their job very good. Do you come here to Angels every Tuesday morning for the breakfast? Yes, just come and have a breakfast. I'm so proud for them, they do the good job. And the first time I come here, why I'm so deadly. This good. Good job, good job. <laughs> so proud for this angel. They do the good job for the people, homeless. But Ms Tasker says the housing market has changed and now it's very difficult to secure affordable accommodation. Regional housing are doing their absolute best that they can do, but you cannot pull houses out of nowhere. So they're fantastic. Obviously, they're the first people we send people to to go and register. What is affordable for some people obviously isn't for everyone, but I had a quick look yesterday. There were 17 houses available under $350 a week out of the 125 or something that were available. 
of those, the majority were one and two bedroom places, so not suitable for families. And the demand for 17, you know, okay, that's a, a good number, but compared to the amount of people that are trying to get places, the competition for that is huge. And if you're talking someone that's maybe on benefits or on the pension compared to someone that's working and has a good income, they've got no hope. They've got no hope of getting a place because of the competition at the moment. Chief Executive of Angels Community Group, Sue Tasker there. She's in Bundaberg in Queensland. And that story from Grace Whiteside. You're listening to Australia Wide. It's a species that I have been fighting for. Growing up in the bush is such a special thing. So when the rain does come, we've, we've got a few numbers. Well, got it never come. Put a feather in your cap. ABC Radio. COVID meant a lot of changes, and for aged care residents, it meant an end to visits from school children. Now, for the first time in three years, a beautiful learning program on the southern Gold Coast in Queensland is back. A group of kindergartners have visited their neighbours at an aged care centre in Talabudra for a bit of playtime. Dominic Cansdale grabbed a microphone and some Play-Doh to join in. So I'm at the St Andrews Aged Care Centre in Talabundra and I'm surrounded by a, a choir of pretty kindergartners singing their hearts out and, as you can hear, marching around like dinosaurs. Around us is a group of old folks, residents here at the Aged Care Centre, maybe about 30 of them, 40 of them, all just watching and clapping along. Okay, so as the singing part of this morning's adventure comes to an end, we're now at the painting and plasticine. There's Play-Doh all over the tables and the little kids are just playing with the older folks, painting, drawing with them. Let's see if we can wedge in here and have a chat to some of them. Oh, I'm going to make something out of this. My name is Levi. Levi, you're a great dancer out there. What's your name? Dom. How old are you, Levi? Nice you're, to meet you. You're four. Goodness, but I'm 94. I, I think it bring a lot of laughter to you, and they make you smile more than you, your people like yourself. And these young people come here full of life, full of joy, full of happiness, and they've got the world in front of them. And I think they, they show it, and we're lucky to have them. What are you guys making? Hi. Yeah, and you know, and you know. Yeah. It is kind of like a meatball. A meatball? Are you gonna eat it? No, no, we are playing. I can see the future. What do you see? What What do you see in the Well, window? I see uh, this young man here. I'm not sure about him. I think he might be the next prime minister. <laughs> uh, but they, they they go from a very young age. Hey, I think. Quite young, and they start very young. But these kids here are brilliant, and I think it's very, it's very kind of the the staff to bring them to take the time to us us oldies. We don't get much of the young people. And and now, and look what I made. I made a muffin that has a rock in it. Can you make me a meatball? Uh, Don't eat it. 
John, you're with your wife who's yeah. with dementia. Yeah. What sort of difference does a day like this make for her? Oh, enormous. Yeah. Oh, I come out every day and see her. But uh, these activities, they're fantastic. They really are, and I mean that sincerely. It just, it just changed their whole day, you know. And it's something for us to talk about for a week. Yeah. Just a conversation piece, you know, yeah. yeah. It must be wonderful to have it back after so many years. Yeah, well, it is. I mean, this is... I've never experienced it in a nursing home before, but they, they've got activities that you don't realise. And it obviously makes the, the children interact and probably they're taught to appreciate people that are old and getting old. And, you know, it's, it's difficult for them to, their little minds to probably understand, you know. Yeah. But uh, I, I pre-prepared for this. I told her what was happening. She sort of semi-understood, but once those children start to sing, well, that's, that's a huge part, you know. So. What do you think it is, that the power of kids with, with people in your wife's condition? Like, what is it about well, I, I think, in, in my wife's case, she'll now talk about when she was young. That'll be a conversation piece for a long time, but she'll think back when she was young. Probably not this young, but when she was at school. So I'll, I'll, I'll relate to her where they've come from just over the road and they're learning and she'll she'll start and then talk about when she went to school not not at this age but when she was probably older and it's it's hard to really well to be honest it's hard to know what's going through their mind you know you you never you never really know when they got dementia but she was very she loves talking to the kitty look at this now she's interacting with the little ones and helping them paint a painting yeah anything just, just, just an activity. I've seen the kids before, and they come, and they bring, I don't know, bring happiness into the whole building. Those programmes are just wonderful. Dominic Kensdale at St Andrew's Aged Care in Talabudra in Queensland, with some help of the Little Saints Early Education Centre. You're listening to Australia Wide. I didn't know Melbourne much. I knew where the race courses were. I'm making signs for the sleepy lizards. Basically less eggs this year than what we would have expected. The houses that are near the edge of the bush, they might encounter a snake up to four times a year, a death adder. Um, just, yeah, see how it goes. On ABC Radio. And finally, we're going to head to WA's South, where women are stripping off to celebrate International Women's Day. The women pose naked for a photo shoot outside the Albany Town Hall on the main street. Organisers say it's about helping those who've gone through traumas such as cancer and sexual assault reclaim their bodies again. Great Southern reporter Brianna Fiore caught up with the group and spoke with Albany woman Julie Ann Johnston. Everybody could make a list of everything they hated about their body and they didn't have to think twice, but when they had to answer what they liked about it, some people just couldn't come up with anything. We need to change that and and we need to try and find out how to make ourselves feel beautiful. Feeling confident in their own skin is something many women struggle with. So when the opportunity arose to strip off in front of camera, dozens of diverse women said they'd give it a shot. We have to face people judging us on if we're too fat, too thin, too tall, too short. We worry about our, the cellulite and all the, the squishy bits on our body and we need to learn to celebrate it and love who you are. Perth photographer Lauren Crook says the event is about encouraging women to reclaim their bodies after experiencing things like pregnancy, breast cancer and sexual assault. We've had lots of cancer survivors, double mastectomies, the 
sexual assault is so much more prevalent than anybody realises and it's the reason and the driver behind everything I'm doing is to draw attention to women's body autonomy and how many women have experienced sexual assault. It's about having choices and shining a light on how prevalent this problem is. Having stripped off in the busy main street of her hometown, Julianne says she would do it all over again just a camaraderie between the women and just everybody was super friendly and confident and body positive. Embrace however you look because you're given one body in this life and we need to celebrate it and, and we need to feel beautiful because we all are. So absolutely true. Great Southern reporter Brianna Fiore reporting there from Albany in Western Australia. And that's Australia-wide for this Wednesday. I hope you're enjoying International Women's Day. Now that I'm about to clock off, I might chuck myself in the ocean in celebration. I'm Sinead Mangan. I hope you have a lovely evening. Cheerio. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.